Mark 1, 28-34. Jesus is in Galilee preaching is the context of the chapter. It's the beginning of his ministry. So, verse 28. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. The word immediately is used three times, so these guys don't mess around. They just take care of business right away. They step out of the synagogue, and they immediately go to the mother-in-law's house. I might have waited a little bit to help the mother-in-law, but I'm not Jesus. So the word immediately is still in the scripture passage, okay? And he came to her and he raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her and she waited on them. Okay? So Jesus already had a full day. If you go previous into the chapter, you'll see that he was in the synagogue. Before that, he was out and about uh, preaching the word and interacting with people. So how many of you have interacting with people jobs? Anybody that has a family, raise your hand. Okay. You moms are really reluctant. Okay. So you ever get peopled out? Like tired? Because it's been a really, really rough day and you've had so many dramas you can't count them. And you really would like the drama to stop in a nice, quiet... Yeah, I saw that hand. Thank you. Um, I, I have, I confess, I used to have a job with people in it. And when I got home, the last thing I wanted to do is have conversations with my kids or my wife. I was just done. It's not that easy. Because if you look in this passage, Jesus had a full day of ministry. Guess what happens? In verse um, 32... When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. Oh, yay. It's dark. I already had a full day of work, and now you're going to bring me more work. And the whole city had gathered at the door. So we should all surprise Frank and Terry, and everybody in Prince William County go outside the pastor's door and go, Hi, Frank, we're here. (laughs) Yeah, he's not liking that a whole lot. <laughs> okay, But can you imagine after a whole day's work, and then they start bringing the really sick people, and he's still working, he's still ministering. Okay, And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. This is a busy day. Okay, So... I still get stuck on that, the whole city had gathered at his door. I'm just trying to imagine in my brain. You open the door and you got all these eyeballs looking at you. It's like, whoa. Okay, next slide, please. Now, Mark puts in there verse 35, and after you read it, you go, why is that verse in there? In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. There's a... Similar verse in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, and it says, But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So, in the middle of a description of Jesus being busy with ministry, ministering to people, there's this verse that says he gets out of Dodge and he goes to a desolate place. Definition of desolate places, nobody but him. Okay? And he does this often. It's like a habit of his life. Scripture says he does it, But it doesn't exactly say why he does it. It just says he does it. Okay? So, my question became, well, Mark, why would you put this in there? So, next slide, please. Here's what I think. Number one, 
The priority for Jesus to get away after ministering was that, a priority. To get some rest, to get some secluded time for himself, okay? If you look throughout the passage of Luke, um, in Luke 6, verse 12, he spends a night alone in prayer before picking the disciples, the twelve apostles. Okay, he spends the entire night at a mountain by himself in prayer. He uh, goes away and prays after the feeding of the thousands of people with the five loaves and two fishes. It says he went off and he prayed by himself because the disciples had to go look for him to figure out where he was. And then he also takes some of his disciples with him. He took Peter, James, and John with him on the mountain to pray just before the transfiguration. So, so not only does he do it himself, but he shows his disciples, at least three of them, how it's done and what he's doing. Christianity Today published an article about the 10 rules to avoid ministry burnout. Rule number five is create time to get away to be refreshed. So they might have actually read this passage and figured out that that's probably not a great thing. You just constantly be on the go, constantly giving, without ever taking a break and resting. Okay? So priority was in the middle of ministry, Jesus takes time to get away because he gets up early in the morning, right after a very busy day and night. Next slide, please. Why a secluded place? How many of you tried to get away to a secluded place in your house with your children there? What's that? No such place. No such place. Thank you. See, I left the wives out of this because she's sitting next to you. So, you know. Um, yeah, it's pretty hard. It's not secluded if you got somebody there. Why? They're a distraction. Okay? It's, it's not a bad thing. But if I'm trying to get away to relax, I don't want anybody there. Okay, no such place. There is. Front porch, back porch, just lock the door so they can't get out. Um, it's just a thought, though. Okay? Um, I was listening to a message by Dr. Howard Hendricks, who taught at uh, Dallas Theological for about 50 years on inductive Bible study. He has a message called Enriching Your Solitude. It's like, how do you make your solitude better? Okay, for those of you who don't like solitude, well, then don't listen to a word I'm about to say. Okay, one of the reasons for solitude is... You need time to process your thoughts. I'm not very fast on my feet, and I was a terrible student. I took lots of notes, but if I didn't go back to my notes and sort of synthesize what was said and kind of work my way through what was it and processed it a little bit, if I don't have a processing time, I won't get it. It'll just be like in, out, or actually it never actually went in. So, so that's one. You need time to process. You need time to refresh yourself. It's called rest. God rested on the seventh day. Why don't we? So there is a valid need for rest in our lives to just step away from the busyness of everything. Take a break. How about seeking the will of God? How well is your relationship with anyone if you don't spend time with them? Yeah, I'm not seeing a lot of head nodding. It's probably one of the requirements if you want to know somebody, you have to spend time with them. Okay? So... When you get time alone, seeking the will of God and then building your own faith. One of the books we read before our trip to Indonesia last year was one of the authors said, if your faith is, doesn't scare you, it's just not big enough. Now, I've thought about that for a year or so. I'm getting ready to go back. 
and do it again, and I'm still wondering, is my faith big enough? So there are at least three or four reasons for time to get away, to just refresh yourself and ask God questions and have a conversation. Okay? Next slide, please. Purpose. So you got, make it a priority to get away, find a place to get away to, and have a purpose. Jesus' purpose was prayer. I thought a lot about that, and I could only find one commentary that was brave enough to talk about it, Matthew Henry. He said, I'm pretty sure he wasn't praying for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, okay, I probably agree with Matthew Henry on that one. So what was he doing when he was praying? Well, I think his purpose was to continue to build his relationship with his Father. When you look at Jesus' prayers in the four Gospels, you will notice that he uses the word Abba in front of several of them. And that's a very personalized word. It means Father or Dad. Okay? There's one exception. When he's on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is the only time in a written scripture that he doesn't say Abba. Okay? Dad. So... I think his purpose was a communion. God wrote 66 love letters to us. God chose to do that in how he communicates with us, through his word. It is the primary way he does it. Um, Think about this. The creator of the universe, the the guy who made everything and knows all the hairs on our heads, uh, even the ones with diminishing returns, um, is willing and wanting to sit down with me and have a conversation. Now, I'm pretty sure I didn't think of that all the time, that that's the privilege that I have, that the creator of the universe will sit down with me and have a conversation and say, hey, how's it going? Or my questions are, hey, am I doing what you asked me to do? Relationships require time spent together. That's just the, the truth of it all. So, if you look in this passage... You notice that's exactly what Jesus does. Can I have the next slide, please? So, a focus on the Father means spending time with Him. And I would suppose, I propose this, that it is the one thing that you should not neglect. You can neglect a whole lot of other things in your walk with God, but not this one. Spending time with the Father is probably the one thing that you see Jesus do all the time throughout the Scripture. And if you read any of the writings and the other books, you'll also discover that it's the same admonition to everyone about walking in a manner worthy of your calling. It requires you to take time and spend with God. It's intentional. It doesn't happen because you wished it. You need to work at it because it's something that requires me action to do. I just don't say, well, yeah, that was a nice time. I had a nice drive. No, no, that doesn't work. Um, That's a pretty shallow relationship, you know. Driving to work, listening to a sermon. It's okay, but it isn't the same as building a relationship with God when I've got nothing else going on, like trying to avoid people trying to cut me off in the HOV on my motorcycle. So, you know, there's a lot of prayer that happens that day, but um, I'm violating my own rule, okay? Next slide, please. So, it's not the end of the story, though. Mainly because... (laughs) Verse 36, 37, 38 say something else about why you need to build that relationship with God. 36, Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Jesus said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. 
One of the other reasons for the time alone with God is to review your perspective. And what has God called you to do? It's not an if. It's not an if he's asked you. God asks us five basic things. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. <clears throat> love your enemies. And love each other. This then is the will of God. You can comb that out for yourself through scripture. So it's not a matter of if. It's what has God called you to do? What's he asked you to do? And do you know what it is and are you you're going after it? Okay? So, next slide. A focus on the Father means staying focused on what he has called you to do. Now, I went through scripture and um, Jesus says quite often, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Okay? But if you look through scripture, God used ordinary men to do extraordinary things. Can I get the next slide, please? Next slide. You might know these guys. Uh, I decided not to use the one at the dinner table. Okay? Um, but these are ordinary guys. Now, for some of them, all of this in Scripture is their name. We, we don't know anything else about them from Scripture. There's some tradition. There's some what we think. And those are fun. But for the ones that were written about, five of them are fishermen, and one's a special kind of sinner. He was a tax collector. Now, yeah. What? Scripture says sinners and tax collectors. So it's a very special category. Uh, hopefully, God forgives any one of you who's working for the IRS, okay? Um, just don't tell anybody about it, okay? So, but if you take a look at these apostles, they're just ordinary guys. There's nothing extra. Probably the only guy that was a professional guy was Paul. And he came after these 12. Okay? So, what's extraordinary about it? Well, I think that I am a product of their obedience to his word. Because when Jesus gave the commission, there were 11 guys on that mountaintop with him. Guess who they were? These guys minus Judas. And what did they were told to do? Go make disciples. So guess what? Any one of us who professes the name of Christ is a product of their being obedient. So is that extraordinary? Yeah, you bet. Jesus left the work of the gospel to 11 men. And it's still going on today, some 2,000 years later. Okay? To me, that's pretty extraordinary. Okay? Next slide, please. Meet the Cambridge Seven. It's an old picture. Sorry. It's the best one I could find. They were seven college students. They got their name to Cambridge Seven because they went to Cambridge College in England. To the right is what they look like as missionaries in China. Now, you might say for us today, that's not such a big deal. But in those days, that was a big deal. Hudson Taylor had just started his ministry okay, on the uh, inland China uh, mission in 1883-84. D.L. Moody was in England doing evangelistic campaigns through colleges. And there was a, a young doctor in China, his name was Schofield, who spent a lot of his time praying for men to be commissioned to come. And he specifically prayed for college students because in those days, college students weren't really interested in mission work. They really weren't interested in Christianity at all. Sounds a little bit familiar. Uh, some things don't change, I guess. Um, so, in 1885, they sailed off. Now, it wasn't just a simple sailing off. 
They went with D.L. Moody throughout England through the college campuses and started preaching and sharing the word and giving their testimonies as to why several of them had given up family fortunes, several of them had given up commissions in the military, which was a big deal in England, uh, and several of them took the wrath of their families because they were going to be missionaries, and that was simply not a cool thing to do back then. You were basically ostracized as a piece of society that, like, why, why do you want to be a missionary? Especially to China. Okay? This is all prior to the Boxer Rebellion and all that. So these guys, every one of them, several of them died in China, but they all finished out their lives serving God in some sort of clergy capacity or as missionaries somewhere. So you say, well, what's extraordinary about that? Well, <clears throat> there's some things that uh, I was talking to Bobby Combs in the hallway. Bible Study Fellowship came from a lady that studied with one of these folks. Okay, that's how it was birthed. Okay, so, so their work had an impact. Their work also fostered that it was no longer uncool for university students to be involved in Bible studies. And it spawned a thing called Christian Student. You know it today as InterVarsity. Okay? It's still going on today. Some hundred years later, the impact God had on using these men from colleges, answering Dr. Schofield was a doctor from Oxford. He died in China. And he died before these guys showed up. But he prayed fervently for this to happen, and God honored that prayer. Okay? So now, I just want to bring it to today. So please, these are a sampling of men here. I won't tell many stories on them, because they're all bigger than I am, and I no longer can run fast. So um, well, let's go through this just for a second. This is just a sampling of some of the guys that are serving here. Next slide, please. Oh, I claim no responsibilities for pictures. Okay, I mean, I simply asked the guy for a picture, and this is what I got. Okay, uh, Carlton's here somewhere. I thought I saw you. Okay. Um, and what I did was I put down what I thought their vocation was and where they serve here, just to show you that they're just ordinary guys, just like the rest of us, okay, that are serving God. Uh, Brian Burdett's got called to the... Ministry, um, that's an ordination process that's been going on for the last several months. This is his grunge look, he says, after running 10 miles. Next slide. Mr. Eggy, um, he refuses to give me a discount for copies, even though he works for Xerox. I said, man, that's just wrong, okay? But Ed's been the finance committee chairman for four years, and he teaches Financial Peace University, which is using the Bible as the basis for how we take care of our God's money. Okay? And Ed is very willing to help anyone with a phone call. Now, Eric Halverson, I'll let you figure out which one's Mikey and which one's Eric. I think Mikey's taller, I'm not sure. So, Eric uh, left the Marine Corps. He's now working at uh, Quantico as a contracting officer and is uh, involved in some of the men's uh, leadership team and some of the things we do here at Lake Ridge. Next slide. Tom Jones, retired Marine. Now, Tom has a camp that... Uh, he acquired, it's a Boy Scout camp, 400 acres just south of Pittsburgh. Uh, Frank and I have been up there during one of the Wounded Warrior efforts. Uh, Frank actually spent an entire week there. And if you've, uh, it's pretty amazing to me, uh, the Marines at that camp, they're all Wounded Warriors. And to a person, uh, they were all distraught because they couldn't return back to duty. So whatever the Marine Corps is teaching, it's keep doing it. Because these, these young men and women were very just discouraged because they can't go back to duty. And so what Tom's doing is to say, you know what, you still count. 
Society still needs you. You can still go back and be productive. And that's one of the things he does. The other thing is uh, it's mentoring for high school uh, students uh, at a camp there. And then this last picture is he took a trip to Africa, working with Africa children, and uh, that's work in progress. So that's really all I know. Harvey Lovelace, nickname is The Nugget. He's a foreman at a printing plant. So if you need thousands and thousands of things printed, um, call Harvey. Um, we get the LRBC discount sometimes. Uh, but Harvey's involved in uh, children's ministry, and he leads the Tuesday night men's study that we call Mail Call. Next slide. Tim Marshall, uh, if you don't know him, you won't. He's a real quiet guy, but he's a tremendous servant. Just call him and ask him for help, and he'll be there. Uh, Mike Miller is my personal hero because he plays the bass in a praise band, and I always wanted to do that, but unfortunately I missed that. But Mike's very active in the Acts 1-8 Council, and he's the leader of the Russian team that's going out with Pastor Frank in July. So thanks for going with them and not us, Frank. So. Chris Ross. Uh, actually, it turns out we went to the same school, just not in the same decade. Uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you figure out which one was first. Never mind. Um, but these are the things. Currently, they're serving as the youth ministers. Okay, He and his wife, Deanne, do that. And uh, Chris is our lead for the Indonesian mission team, which is going out at about the same time as uh, the Russian team. Walt, uh, you saw Walt as Deacon of the Week. And um, I learned a little something about Walt uh, last year when we were in in, uh, Indonesia. If you ever need a better idea on how to do something, just stand next to Walt. You don't have to say anything. You don't even have to ask. He'll simply help you do it better. Okay? Um, Love you, man. But... uh, Gene's going, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, <laughs> what? I'm not lions of sin, so yeah. Ah. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that later. And as Michael Shannon says, he's an acquired taste. Uh, <laughs> so, however, if you ever watch Mike interact with his son Carl, It's a wonderful thing to see. Now, they go at it like two guys do, but it's fun because Carl's got a really good head on his shoulders, and they'll always show up to help. doesn't matter what it is. Uh, Mike serves as a deacon. He's also the small uh, group for home builders, uh, helping couples uh, get stronger in their relationships uh, through the Bible. Dick Smith. Now, I had to look really, really hard at this because you don't have a beard, and so... I tried to draw a beard on this picture to see if it was really you, and I decided, yeah, it was. Um, Dick has been very active. If you know Dick at all, you know he loves the Word of God. He loves teaching it. He loves living it. And he loves helping other people figure it out. So this is what he does on the mission trips, and this is one to Indonesia that he took some time ago. Next slide. Chuck Vincent. Thanks for the correction. Army retired. I thought he was a Marine. I was corrected last service anyway. But Chuck's motto is, build it and they will come. Uh, He's tremendous. You you notice he's got a level. This is prior to the Impact Center being built. Uh, The Impact Center is uh, where we're going to go in Indonesia. It's it's, uh, just that, an impact center for the local population where they have opportunity to teach skills to the the villagers and also a chance for the gospel. George Wilson, uh, former deacon chair, also building uh, home builders, um, and my favorite acoustic guitar player, at least for now. So, so what's extraordinary about these guys? Well, nothing. They're ordinary. 
What about what they do? Well, let me ask you. If they're involved with teaching your children Bible, you think that influences your children's lives? You think that's going to have a lasting impact? That might be a little extraordinary in, in how you build a legacy into them from the gospel. If they share or if they do any service uh, with their neighbor, a friend, just to help out, do you think that leaves an impact? Is it extraordinary? Uh, no, but maybe it has an extraordinary impact. Just like this, the Cambridge Seven, 100 years later, there's still a mission field. 100 years later, there's intervarsity. So you just don't know the impact of serving God and all these gentlemen do, because every one of them has to figure out is, so God, what is it you want me to do specifically? Okay, next slide, please. This is a quote from what the church needs from a gentleman that I'm fond of reading. Let me just read it to you because it's lots of words. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. It's written by a fellow named Ian Bounds. As you can tell, that's where he lived. He was a Civil War preacher. Uh, he spent his time in prison. Uh, he was incarcerated in 1862 and didn't come out until 1865. He's written 11 books, nine of them on prayer. Okay, But if you've noticed what he says in... 18-whatever, it's still no different today. The church doesn't need more methods or cool things. It needs people that are willing to just open their Bible and have a conversation with God as a priority. Next slide, please. So, what's it going to cost? Time is like a budget. All you can do is spend it. There's 168 hours in a week. And as we try to talk about focusing and prioritizing... At least seven minutes. Well, seven minutes? That doesn't seem like a lot, but to people that are busy, it's like, bad. are you kidding me? I'm not adding another thing to my schedule. So what could you give up? Well, you could give up watching half the commercials on a 30 minutes television show because that's how much seven minutes is. They're 15-second spots. You could omit a YouTube video that you might watch. Four minutes and 20 seconds is the average YouTube video. And you could avoid going to the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A because although the company says it's 12 people in six minutes, it's not true. Just try to go to anyone at Chick-fil-A's around here. That's not happening, okay? They, that stat is without the Northern Virginia piece, okay? So there is a cost associated. And I said at least seven minutes. Next slide, please. What would you do? Well, 1882 at Cambridge, some students came up with this because they knew that if they didn't get up in the morning and start it with God, because of their student schedules and activities, they would never get to the Word. One guy actually rigged something to his alarm clock. When the alarm clock went off, it, strings were attached to a sheet, and it pulled the sheet off. So he was pretty serious about trying to get up, okay? Half a minute prayer for guidance. There's some scripture verses here. Four minutes to read the Bible. Just read it. Don't study. Just read it. Don't get hung up on a word or a passage. Just read, read the Bible. Two and a half minutes of prayer, maybe using an acrostic that's adoration, confessing, thanksgiving, and supplication. This is, in fact, the conversation with God, that interaction of, of prayer. And it's not always asking for something I need, definitely not. It's always trying to be thankful for who he is and about his grace, etc. And that adoration praise. If you look at the Lord's Prayer and you look at this thing, they're very similar in terms of how the Lord's Prayer was shaped. And Jesus said, teach us how to pray. Okay? 
It's practical. It's a way to start prioritizing opening the book and having a conversation with God as the one thing that you could focus on to do. Next slide. So, here's a help. Set your time. Set your best time. When we had children, the best time for my wife was not in the morning. It was when the kids went down for a nap. For me, it's the morning. I'm a commuter. I commute to work, so morning works for me. Next, find your place. This is my place. It's a red chair in my living room. It has a lamp, and it sits next to a window. And I don't actually take my iPad with me because I don't have the discipline not to look at that ding mail. So I just leave it in my office, and I use paper. Don't laugh. And I feel like Pavlov's dog some of the time. But I just know me. I'm, I'm weak, I confess. So I sit there with my paper and my cup of coffee first thing in the morning, and I say, good morning, Lord. And God says, hi, been waiting for you. Next slide. There's a purpose. My purpose is to focus on the Father. You know, I, sometimes you think, oh, it would be great to give a sermon and tell you what you ought to be doing. That's not true at all. All sermons are for the person speaking. This is God's message to me. I just get to share it with you. That's all. It's a privilege to do so, but this is a conversation God has with me often, just because I'm a slow learner. So this is the purpose. So the question I have for you is, how are you doing in setting aside priority? Spend time with God. Some of you already do this. It's not a big deal. Some of you don't. And my question is, I don't think you can afford not to. Seven minutes is not a long time. It is if you've never done it. But I would ask you to give it a shot. Set it on your calendar. Find a place where nobody bothers you. And just open up the book and let God speak to you. Okay? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. And thanks, Lord, for Jesus' example. Lord, thanks that he demonstrated how important it was for him to meet with you. Uh, fully God, fully man, and yet he still spent time working on his relationship with you to make sure that he was rested and to make sure he knew what it was that you wanted him to do. Help us to be like Jesus and to imitate him. And Lord, help us to find seven minutes if we don't. And thank you, Father, for the grace. In Christ's name, amen. Stand with me.